good morning, brothers and sisters. For anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Justin, and I'm one of the ministers in this body, and I'm going to gonna preach closer to, sh- share a word closer to the sign of the cross today. Uh, t- today's passage uh, in the lectionary that, that we typically follow around here comes from uh, John chapter 3, a conversation that uh, Jesus has with Nicodemus that many of, you might be, might, many of you might be familiar with. And so just to give a little bit of background to that, you've got Nicodemus who was, uh, he was a Pharisee. He was a leader of uh, the Jewish people. And <clears throat> that means he ran with a crowd who, uh, by their outward spiritual practice and by their knowledge, they felt uh, like they, they were commissioned or they were qualified to be doorkeepers, doorkeepers for God, door, doorkeepers for what God's kingdom looks like, for what, what uh, the, way, the way people should live if they want to be a part of it. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, interestingly, um, and we don't know a whole lot about why he came, but uh, <clears throat> he opens with uh, a flattering statement for Jesus. He says, uh, Jesus is clear that you are a teacher straight from God. You know, no one could do the things you're doing if uh, God weren't in on it. And so Jesus' response, um, his immediate response is with uh, this teaching that really throws Nicodemus off. He says, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's great, but uh, let me tell you something. Unless, unless a person is born, born from above or born again or born anew, uh, there's several different ways to translate the Greek there. Um, 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 unless that happens, then you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, uh, hmm. I uh, see. I'm like five ten, and there's there's like I know some shorter people, some wider people, thinner people. Uh, woman's womb. Uh, no, that that doesn't work, Jesus. What are you talking about? And so, Jesus tries again with the, he tries it from another angle, though. He says, um, he says, uh, <clears throat> once again, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless a person is, and, I, and I'm going to borrow um, uh, the message rendering here of uh, the Greek. I, I love the way Eugene Peterson said this, unless a person submits themselves to an original creation. The original creation, the, the spirit hovering over the waters creation. And unless a person gives themselves to a baptism into new life, then they cannot enter God's kingdom. And once again, Nicodemus is like, uh, huh, what are you talking about? How does that happen? And so uh, Jesus, he, well, he, uh, <coughs> he, he responds back. Well, well he, he, he gives, uh, he tries to give Nicodemus a, um, a metaphor to work with, something he can relate to. He says, well, this, 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 this rebirth teaching that I'm sharing, I mean, it's, 
you you know um, you know that the wind is there. Like you you hear it rustling through the trees. You're aware it blows this way and that, but you have no idea where it's coming from or where it's going. That it's kind of like that. It's like that with this rebirth that I'm talking about, being born again or born from above. It's not predictable. It's not certain. It's not something you can control. It's not. Uh, it's not something that uh, you can. You can know by the type of knowing that says, uh, "I'm certain, and I know exactly how it works, and you know I can." license the information, and I can control the narrative. And so even, though, so even though Jesus gives Nicodemus, he tries to clarify it for him. Nicodemus still is like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. And so uh, Jesus says, and you're a, you're, you're, you are a teacher of Israel, and you, don't under, and you don't understand these things, these basics is a, a message translation. You know the stories. You know the story of Genesis. You know the stories of the the pillar of the pillar of uh, cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You know these miraculous stories about how God does new and unpredictable things. But but you can't. You you're completely lost here. So now let's turn specifically, and I'll start reading directly from. Scripture here, let us hear a word of the Lord. I'm going to begin with uh, verse 11. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. This is Jesus here. This is all Jesus. Nicodemus doesn't come back into the conversation. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you, and you don't believe, you don't trust me, how can, I, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they haven't believed, trusted in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, the light, God's light has come into the world. And people, humankind, loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light. For all, for all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who live in the truth come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their works have been done in God. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. I'm going to try not to rely on this. 
Jesus, help me. So, um, the first thing is I've been living and uh, been gripped by and wrestled with this this text this week. Um, Is that Jesus, uh, so he, he seems to be rather unambiguously trying to clarify for son of for Nicodemus uh, who he is you know uh, uh, that, that he is the Messiah he is the Holy One of God he he, he um, <clears throat> claims this title of son of man and there, there's there's a history uh, that goes with that that goes back into the Old Testament that uh, I won't I won't bore you with here but you know it's pretty cool if you want to ask me about it afterwards. But he seems to be pretty clearly trying to tell Nicodemus that uh, this stuff I'm telling you, yeah, it would sound crazy. Like, like I would get it if, if, if I was just, you know, just an ordinary person uh, who was born and uh, you know, conceived and born just like everyone else. Like, I would get how that sounds completely crazy, the stuff I'm telling you. But... <clears throat> But I'm not. I am the one who came from the presence of God, the unmediated, full presence of God. I think we sometimes need to uh, uh, capture a different understanding of heaven than what, what we may first think of. Let's think of heaven in this passage as the, the realm where God's where God's full and unmediated presence exists and shines. It's the, it's the place of existence where God's will is done and, and, and God's will runs wild and free and, 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 and just covers everything without any sort of hindrance or obstacle or sin or death to get in the way. And so... Jesus is telling you, is saying, I'm, this stuff about the Spirit, this stuff about being, about being recreated from scratch, about uh, uh, taking a, uh, this big mess of chaos and nothingness and bringing order and life to it. I'm not, uh, I'm not telling you something that I just made up. I'm telling you something that 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 that, that I know that that I came from that it's I know by experience and who I am. And uh, in the third thir- thirteen, he says, "No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended." I like that that language, this image of uh, heaven and earth being being bridged. In Jesus, in the Son of Man. And I think that's really important for uh, stuff that he's going to go on to continue saying. I think it's, it's because of that, because of Jesus is, is this sort of bridge where the life of, that, that connects the life of heaven and the life of earth where we can pray the life of earth, we pray for God's will to be done on heaven as in earth, but it's not an unblemished reality, right? There's still a lot of stuff and sin and death that gets in the way. 
So then in 14, Jesus makes this comparison, and it ties directly into the numbers passage that, that we read, which it makes sense then why it was included within the lectionary. It says, just as uh, Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, Nicodemus certainly had no idea what that would have meant. Jesus' disciples, at the time he spoke it, probably didn't know what that meant. But we, as the inheritors of the Christian faith, sons and daughters of, <coughs> of the church, we know that Christ being lifted up refers very explicitly to his crucifixion. And so there's got to be some sort of direct correlation then between the sign of the cross, Jesus being lifted up for uh, salvation, and uh, what happened back in Numbers. Which is, uh, which is kind of a strange story. I actually went back and uh, I, I kind of read, I kind of skimmed through the first uh, 20 chapters of Numbers. I did not read them. I'm not that, uh, have that much of a photographic memory. But I skimmed through and, and uh, <coughs> the, the specific passage that's brought out in the lectionary is actually kind of a snippet of this larger cycle that happens um, in the, the narrative of Genesis. Where you've got, uh, like, the first part of Genesis is kind of the boring stuff of, like, numbering the tribes and figuring out who does what with the temple. And you have to do it this way or else bad stuff happened, like, exactly this way. And so uh, <coughs> it's kind of long and, long and dry. But then uh, the people break camp uh, after, you know, having been led out of Egypt. And uh, on the other side of the Red Sea... The people break camp, uh, heading towards the promised land. That's what God says. That's the promise that God gave Israel. He'd lead them to a promised land. And it, from the very beginning, uh, there's this pattern that develops where uh, the people just grumble. Like, that's how the chapter opens, multiple times. People got impatient. The people grumbled. The people started complaining. And usually, this theme of food and water uh, does does repeat itself, um, and so the there the the theme also happens. The cycle also happens that when the people uh, abandon their trust in God, when they when they when they question whether or not they really want to still be part of this covenant relationship, where yes, God brought them out of uh, Egypt, out of a life of slavery, out of a life of being oppressed, and now they're in this new life where God is, God, is, God, God is providing for them. God provides this manna. The manna is this uh, dew bread that shows up every morning. And uh, God provides the water. They are in a desert, so obviously there's not just uh, lakes and rivers flowing around, uh, flowing around uh, everywhere. But uh, <clears throat> in Numbers 20, just, just before the lectionary passage, uh, the people are complaining about water, and uh, so what, what, what usually happens when the people complain is that they go to Moses, and because uh, he's their leader, and then Moses, like, oh, this is so frustrating, so let me go talk to God and see what God says, and, uh, and then God usually gives Moses a specific instruction about how to, um, 
uh, deal with the situation. <coughs> but that, that, that when, I mean, that, that kind of makes it sound trivial, but, but there is also, it's not trivial. Certainly the way that Numbers portrays it, th- this isn't just about um, a little bit of grumbling and a little bit of complaining. This is, this is the people's sin. This is the people breaking their covenant relationship with God and abandoning trust in God. And so it brings destructive consequences upon the camp, upon the people. Every time this happens, usually uh, in previous chapters, it may take the form of like fire, may take the form of uh, the earth opening up its mouth. Uh, in this passage, you know, the, the numbers passed for lectionary today, it's the form of poisonous serpents. Which is, which is, uh, <coughs> I was found it odd, like, I, and sometimes I think we need to give ourselves the freedom to ask questions of, of the scriptures, that, um, so God's instruction for Moses is to make uh, a serpent of bronze, a bronze serpent for the people to look at and receive salvation. Especially, I mean, anyone remember what, what, what the primary rhetorical device, like what the, what the biggest symbol, what the biggest symbolism is for a serpent in Genesis? It's God's enemy. Yeah, it's the adversary. So I had to ask myself, uh, do, why would God want people to be looking at a serp, uh, bronze serpent, uh, you know? That Im- well, I, I'm pretty sure it's not because uh, it has anything to do with looking at God's enemy, at the looking at, at Satan. I don't, it has nothing to do with that. So then what does it have, have something to do with? What stands out about it? Well, the thing that, the thing, the thing that I was gripped by and, and struck by is that the people then, what God is asking the people to do when they break trust, when they say, um, <laughs> you know, God, uh, this, this, thanks for the do, but uh, I'd really rather, when, you know, when we were back in Egypt, we had garlic and we had leeks. We had some options. When they, when they tell Moses, you know, yeah, Mo, why did you bring us out here? They seem to selectively forget that we, we were the ones crying out to God to be delivered from Egypt. Yeah, we may have had options, but we also were enslaved and oppressed and worked to the bone. It's kind of like, and we, we don't ever do that, right? We don't ever, you don't ever, <coughs> I don't ever go to the store and buy five boxes of cereal for my kids, and then they come back and say, oh, there's no cereal to eat. Well, did you look in the fridge? I mean, did, did you look in the pantry? We don't ever complain about something, and then, and, then, and, then, and, and then we're given something else, but, oh, it wasn't the right color, or it wasn't, it wasn't the right brand. It wasn't, uh, <coughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the right price. And so the, the very thing that, that, that we were wanting to be rid of we go back to it because the new thing wasn't exactly what we wanted. The thing that strikes me about 
this, the, the passage in Numbers is that <coughs> the only thing I can verbalize as to why Jesus would have them look at a bronze serpent to be healed <coughs> is that they are being led to look at the consequences of their sin. That in order to be healed, Jesus says, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to understand what is killing you. And so, how does that correlate with the cross, with Jesus being lifted up? Well, um, I think God wants us to see the consequences of our sin. I think God wants us to see that when sin and death run amok in our hearts, in our families, in our communities, in our nation, and in our world, that it is shameful and dishonest and bloody and violent. But, but we see the beautiful thing about the cross is we see so much more. We don't just see that destruction being reflected back to us. We see God, it's like God is saying, I know, <coughs> I know, I know you can't just see that and keep feeling bad about it and keep talking about it and that and be and be transformed. I know that 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 way of just of just looking about it of just looking at it and regretting it while really important is not enough. And so then I'm going to take that sin and that death and I'm going to and I'm going to take those consequences to myself. I'm going to saturate this sin and death and destructiveness in the life of heaven. Oh, that's pretty good, huh? That is pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really good. And so, and so then that 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 leads. Uh, <coughs> well, all right, I'm just just gonna take a quick peek here. I feel like I need to get my head back together. So, if, if we trust that it is really the Son of God, the one through whom all things came into existence, who's been lifted up upon that cross, then something utterly scandalous and amazing, kind of ridiculous, can happen. Which then, I think, leads us to John 3.16 and 17. Now, John 3.16, we all... If we've grown up around the church at all, we kind of know John 3.16. It's, you're probably not going to go into any sort of Christian bookstore and find a verse that's put up on placards and Christian home decor more than John 3.16. So it's one of those statements that, uh, that it's really easy to get just really comfortable with. 
right? But when I was, when I've been working with it and, 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 and trying to live under it this week, I, it's, it's beautiful, but, but it also has made me uncomfortable. And I think there's several, several reasons for that. And I think in order to, uh, in order to speak about it, I'm, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to get a little nerdy again. All right, I'm going to have to go back to the Greek. Um, so first, I'm going to focus on this, this, uh, this, this word for world. For God so loved the world. Now, the, now the word is. Um, Cosmos. That's you know it's inflected in different ways, but that's that's the Greek word cosmos. That's where we get words like cosmology or a cosmonaut. For God so loved the world. That means like the universe. That means like the totality of everything God has made. You know, it, so that means that it doesn't mean that God just so loved the right side. It doesn't mean that God just so loved the left side. It doesn't mean that God just so loved the eastern hemisphere, or God just so loved the western hemisphere, or God so loved, uh, God so loved the, uh, God so loved the capitalists. Or for God so loved the socialists. For God so loved the world. There's different Greek words that would have been used there if God wanted to put limitations on it. But it's the cosmos. It's everything God has made. In in the concrete totality, the particulars of people's hearts, minds, bodies, Families, communities, nations, planets, and how it all fits together. For God so loved the world that God gave his only son. So that so that all who believe and want to believe what Let's be really clear. Nicodemus, I think, believed a lot of things that were factually true about God and God's story. But that, that wasn't enough to see and enter to grasp, to be grasped by Jesus' teaching. To believe is it's about trust. It's about being a part of this covenant relationship and covenant journey with God. God so loved the world. The Son of Man is lifted up that whoever believes, whoever trusts in Him may not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> what is eternal life? What was the first thing that someone thinks of just a synonym, uh, association with eternal life? Throw it out there. Forever. Anything else? Heaven? Yeah, I don't think those are wrong answers. I think those are 
those are those are parts of the truth. <coughs> the thing, um, eternal life in Greek, it's uh, the um, the ionion life. Uh, <coughs> it so it's functioning there as a uh, adjective modifying the word life. Um, it comes from the Greek uh, uh, noun, ion, uh, which is where we get the English word uh, eon, right, or age. There's lots of places that the word uh, ion is used within the New Testament as well to talk about the age to come. <coughs> this world, there's this world and then there's the age to come, and, 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 and at the end of the age, there's going to be some sort of reckoning and reconciling this great work that God is going to do so that uh, <clears throat> all the stuff that's been wrong with this age is done away with in the age to come. <clears throat> so, let's, so let's try and expand our, our imagination of eternal life beyond just life that goes on forever. life where God's will is done and runs free and wild. It is the uh, eternal life. It's it's the life of God's age taking root in us now. It may have eternal life, not will have at some point in the future eternal life, right? And we've often thought of... The evangelical baggage has, has often been to think of saved and eternal life as the what happens after we die, right? But this is, this is present tense. This is the life of God's age. The life where God's will being done on earth as, as in heaven is more than just a prayer. It's a reality. The whole and everlasting painting of what life could like, could look like if sin and death weren't constantly tearing the canvas. Right? That's what Jesus is talking about. I, 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 I think that's pretty good too. I do. God help me because I don't, always, I don't know how often I experience it, but I really think that that's what, I really think that's what Jesus is talking about. And so salvation, this righteous reordering of relationships between humans, communities, nations, and the rest of creation, which brings peace and justice instead of violence and abuse. That's what salvation is from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. That's what God has always been about and will always be about from the beginning of when things came into existence to the ending when things will be made new. It's not just, it's not individualized, this is not escapism, it's not just our hearts. Yes, that matters, it totally matters. The scripture's clear that matters. But I'm not sure we have a hard time remembering that as much as we need it (laughs) and have a hard time experiencing it. Why? Why do we have such a hard time experiencing it? 
That's what I've had to ask myself this week. Why is it possible that something so amazing and ridiculous could become just a pretty ordinary statement for me? Yep, I grew up with that. I know that. That for the church as a broad global church, it's, just, it's, it's a cliche, it's something we put up in our homes. Instead of something that we can just go out and shout and proclaim, and, 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 it's, and, and it's a people-transforming, heart-reordering, world-changing gospel. Now, you all, you all may have already known all that, and, um, you know, it's probably just me who has to, has to be asked and convicted about, um, God, what gets in the way? Why, God, do I still feel like so often I'm in a dark place, that there's darkness in my life and I don't know how to overcome it and, and, it, and it becomes just something I get used to living with. You know, I tell myself as long as, well, as long as I'm not, you know, really crossing the line, as long as it's not, uh, you know, as long as it's not pornography or uh, you know, I'm really just obviously hurting someone, then, you know, I'm, I'm good. I can. So I, I, I'm just going to have a conversation with, with Jesus for a minute. And uh, <clears throat> y'all can, li- you know, you can listen, but th- this is, and, but, you know, it's probably, probably just me. And it's not really, you know, it's not necessarily a comfortable thing to say, so I'm just going to read it. So I <clears throat> so why, Jesus? Why does it seem like Eternal life is still something in the future. Why does it seem like your salvation for my life hasn't put it hasn't put the broken pieces back together again? Well, I think because you've been lifted up but I still keep lifting my eyes to other signs looking for salvation. Maybe it's politics of the (coughs) red elephant or the blue donkey. Maybe it's uh, Uncle Sam. Maybe it's the raging bull of Wall Street. Maybe it's the stars and stripes that's supposed supposed to keep it all together. Maybe it's uh, 
Maybe it's the competing mascots, the Jayhawks or the Tigers. Maybe it's the products marketed every day. They just bombard my imagination from countless companies. I just find myself really easy, Jesus, to look everywhere but you. To make me right or good again as an individual and to make my community and my nation and my world right or good again. And, you know, at least at first, it would be easier, Jesus, these other signs, other other ways. They would be easier or maybe less frightening, at least to take the first step. Because they don't make me look at the consequences of my own sin. They are much better at covering it up with the entertainment or pursuit of something else. They certainly don't make me acknowledge that I can't understand everything, that I could be wrong. And they definitely don't make me see that both by the things I do and things that I don't mean to do. I share in the blame for what's gone wrong in the world and in me and in my home. They tend to be a lot better at justifying the blame away and just flinging it on someone else. Oh, God help me. Now, I'll I'll clarify something. If, If I, if New Beginnings as a people, truly look to the cross as a sign of our, a sign of salvation for ourselves and for the world so the spirit could rebirth us kind of start start from scratch then i don't expect that all those other signs that i mentioned would be would vanish that they'd be cut out of our lives i doubt that some of them might i I'm not God. I'm not the one who hovers over the waters. And as I've been grasped by this teaching, I think being born of the Spirit has to mean that I would be willing to let them go, even the ones that I am certain of how good and right and true they were before the Spirit starts blowing around. And trust me, I have them. I have what I think is right. I have what I think our politics should be. I have what I think our our economics should be. I had them in Jesus' time, too. Had political parties. They had, you talk about capitalists. My goodness, the Romans, the Roman Empire. Spectacles and businesses and markets flung across the globe in ways that had never been seen before. You had the... Had the socialists, had the Essenes, people thought, oh, no, we should just withdraw to ourselves and 
you know, be our own community and just take care of ourselves and forget about everybody else. They had him. I imagine that a lot of those signs, that, that, you know, they, they'd still be part of the mix of who we are as people who get paid, have some fun, meet daily needs, deal with illness or stress, medications, and people who are concerned about how power and wealth accumulate in society. What happens when an election comes around? So, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it's all bad and that the cross just completely replaces them. But the cross does judge them. The cross says they are not the sign of salvation. At, at, at their best, at their best, they can offer gifts and ways to help and deal with the sin and death that runs amok in the world. And so it can be part of the mix. God will probably give, God, God will probably give us a lot of those symbols and signs back if we say you can start from scratch. But at their worst those symbols have a way of being animated by God's enemy and taking on a life of their own. And instead of gifts that we offer to bless and help, they say, they put in our hands a sword to wield against each other, to divide and destroy to say the darkness is everywhere else but inside of me and what I know. So I just think that's why we need to never confuse them with Jesus, never confuse them with God's kingdom that's revealed in the cross. Allow them to become a higher priority. Because it's only God that it's only God that it's only God that can restore and rightly reorder our life, our hearts, our world. It's only God who can bring salvation. Now there's something else amazing about the cross. <clears throat> and I'll I'll stop here as far as preaching goes. And it's true of God's spirit as well. It's something that truly no other sign would even dare to boast. The cross, somehow, even though there was this particular moment in time 2,000 years ago when God said, all right, I'll get up here, I'll be lifted up. I'll put myself on this sign that an empire invented to keep people down and to flaunt its power to threaten. I'll get up here and, and I'll, I'll take this sign and I will, I will redeem it and transform it and make it a sign of salvation. Yeah, that happened at a particular point in time, right? 2,000 years ago. But 
if we look at the scriptures in Revelation, when John is having this vision about um, uh, what it may be like at uh, the end at uh, the end of the age, when <coughs> there's this reckoning and and God uh, uh, God ushers in the renewal of all things. <coughs> When God has a vision of the throne room of the throne room of heaven, he sees of the lamb, he sees Jesus, but he sees Jesus as the lamb that was slain. Jesus what Jesus resurrected, what? With the with still the the holes in his wrists and in his feet. And then also in uh Revelation there's this part in chapter thirteen where uh it talks about the book of life that, you know, there's, there's, the, there's this book of life that has the names of every, that has the names of all the redeemed in it. And it's the name, it's the book of life that's kept by the Lamb who was slaughtered from the foundation of the world. So somehow this cross that was originally meant as a torture device at a particular point in time, from the point of view of God's salvation, fills history. It goes back to the beginning, the beginning of all things. And the lamb, it's the lamb that was slain at the end of all things. Kids, kids can come in. Yeah, you guys can come in. Yeah, you're fine. Oh, no, you don't be sorry at all. You don't be sorry at all. The cross is there whenever we need a new beginning. At, at any point in, in my future, in your future, what happened in my past, what happened in your past, our nation's future, what happened in our nation's past, the cross is there to redeem it. Oh. Ah, well, how do you even get your hands, your, 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 how do you even begin to grasp that? Well, I'm just going to throw some out there. <clears throat> and um, we may not... Uh, <clears throat> and it, it's, just, it's just an offering, all right? If you decide it's not for you, then God is still good and God's word over you is still salvation. But there has been a practice throughout uh, the history of Christian communities worshiping and <clears throat> traveling with Jesus, called the sign of the cross. Now, you may think just Roman Catholicism when, when you think of the sign of the cross and, you know, dead ritual and may have some baggage with it. <clears throat> so I said, it's fine if you feel like, it's, feel like it's not for you. But it has been a way of praying, a way of engaging our bodies as believers from the very beginning when, you know, it was just Christians. We didn't have to qualify ourselves by Protestants or Roman Catholics or whatever else. <clears throat> it, was a way of, it was a way of bringing the reality of the cross and its spiritual power into the lives of believers and covering themselves with it. It's saying that I am marked by it, I am claimed by it, and... <clears throat> Not, not only does it shape me into uh, <clears throat> following the Spirit and following Jesus, it also protects me. There's a, 
there's, there's, there's a power there protecting me from sin and death when I cover myself with the sign of the cross. So, <clears throat> last week, for those of you that were here, uh, I'll say we continued in our um, practices and offered a space for public confession. And so I'm going to just lead us into creating that space again. And if it doesn't get filled the same way, then, then that's fine. God is still good. God is still here. We've still been worshiping. But as a part of the sign of the cross leading us to say, I do need to look at the consequences of my sin. We're going to open that space. But like yesterday, because the sign of the cross is no longer just a sign, a sign of, of, it's not a sign of, of being overcome by death and sin, it's the sign of overcoming it. So, when, when, when a confession is spoken from one side, will the other side respond, Christ is lifted up over you, brother or sister, depending on you know, whoever's speaking. And then would we all receive that, uh, <clears throat> that, that proclamation of release from sin by saying, let us become who Christ has made us to be. <clears throat> 